0: maybe. It might work without it. I do need it. Kathy says you do. Okay. (laughs) It's recording all this right now. Mm -hmm. How exciting. (laughs) It's always logistics, you know, figure all this out. When we first begin, even though we've done it many times, it's never the same. <laughs> oh, perfect. Just the like everything is. else, yes. Knots <laughs> <laughs> and all. Yeah. Yeah. There's always knots anyway, right? <laughs> Life is tangled. Tangled mess, <laughs> yes. I don't even know where it goes. It goes I could say good evening again (laughs) and I know that uh, Kathy and Carol have very warmly welcomed you already and now it's my turn to warmly welcome you Um, everyone each and all of you and old friends quite a number of old friends here and Can you hear? My voice sometimes is quiet, okay. Lots of old friends and some new friends that will become old friends. Mm. So it's just perfect. (laughs) So I'd like to just uh, all of us sit quietly just for a few minutes to settle in. You've traveled. You've listened to Carol each other Eaton So let's spend just a few moments now silently settling relaxing arriving Gathering in your attention. And just very uh, simply connecting to and noticing the sensations of your breath in a very simple, general way. In this high place, it's as simple as this. Leave everything you know behind. Step toward the cold surface. Say the old prayer of love. And open both arms. Those who come with empty hands will stare into the lake astonished. There in the cold snow, in the cold light, reflecting pure snow, the true shape of your own face. Some words from the poet David White As we enter into retreat, each one of us alone, and also together, we're creating, or more accurately, co-creating a temporary village. We come together as a temporary spiritual practice community. A Dharma family, as one of my Burmese teachers says. As we begin this period of commitment to exploring and cultivating and deepening our inner life. Over these next weeks, we'll be deepening and expanding our capacity for a mindful, concentrated attention, rooted in the heart of kindness. And we'll be learning this directly through our meditation practice, which will also include a growing intuitive sense of all of the conditions that are necessary for the blossoming of clear insight into the nature of things. I think it's fair to say that for many people there's a tremendous amount of time and energy spent, or maybe more accurately, expended, cultivating an outer life, doing things, producing things, acquiring things, going places, being somebody, being Something, becoming something. These next two weeks will be quite special and unique in that none of this is really important or, or will be asked of you in the ordinary ways of the seeming requirements and expectations of the world. So, whether you've engaged in this particular way of practicing meditation previously, or if it might be new for you, or at least somewhat new for you, you may already uh, be beginning to experience something that arises for most of us, or at least many of us, at the onset of a retreat. The sense of entering into sacred space and time. The sense of entering into a kind of sanctuary, both within our surroundings and also within ourselves. And for me, personally, whenever I'm entering into the teaching mode or beginning to uh, go into a period of intensive personal practice, There's always this feeling in my heart of stepping into sacred time and sacred space inwardly in relationship to myself and in relationship to my surroundings. It's really a beautiful and very precious footstep, we could say, that we're taking. up here in the mountains, the obvious beauty and sacredness of all of the life surrounding us. And also the incredible diversity and natural rhythms of life happening here. Changes in the light through the day and night. The early spring weather it is spring believe it or not (laughs) the early spring weather this amazing early spring weather here in the mountains with its myriad manifestations and changes all of the forms of life the community of beings that we share this place with birds chipmunks, maybe some squirrels, maybe we'll see deer, maybe some other creatures, (coughs) the abundant trees, and all the other manifestations of plant life, and of course the beautiful fresh air that we breathe in day and night. This natural world is really quite a fine teacher for us of the sacred and of the perfectly natural fluidity and diversity and change that just simply is. It's really a mirror of the truth of ourselves, our nature as nature and we might consider that in fact nature's no problem to itself it's really no problem to itself in itself we can learn from this mirror we could say of naturalness the just-isness the just-beingness the absolutely open-hearted presence, we could say, of this perfectly natural world. Here in this retreat setting, if we really take our time to truly arrive, so just simply, for instance, with the late afternoon or evening light, maybe an early morning sunrise, or to open-heartedly sense and see the particulars, the details, the subtleties or the more overt ways that this spring season is just simply displaying itself in small and larger ways. And of course, Along with any of this, moments of a silent, simple, clear presence in your body, heart, and mind, any time of the day or night. One day in the ninety-second year of uh, of her life, my mother—I'm talking about my mother—she stopped for a few moments at the age of 92 on our daily out-of-doors walk. And she stooped over and looking long and silently at a flower that was very full in its blooming, very full in its liveliness. And after a couple of moments, she just simply said with great reverence, It's great to be alive. Probably to each one of us has come some unexpected or unsuspected or maybe even some very exceptional moments during times of a very simple, clear, unfettered attention. Moments of what we could call spiritual attention. As the days of this retreat unfold, you'll be learning how to develop, purify, and focus this simple, clear, unfettered attention. One of the wonderful things about being here in retreat is that there's really quite a degree of accumulated energy here. All of the people who have come here to learn and to practice, there are quite a few retreats that take place here. All of the teachings that have been offered here and all of the various teachers who have offered them It's a gift of a symbiotic and ever-expanding energy that we're both partaking of and adding to. So, how fortunate that we're here. During these retreat days, we have the great gift of being taken care of in a very beautiful and simple way. All of our basic needs being met really. While you're here, (coughs) life is pared down, simplified from your usual daily life activities, usual daily life demands and seeming needs. There's really not very much to do over these next couple of weeks. Sitting, walking, eating, hearing, spending a little bit of time every day with your yogi job, sleeping, not too much, not too little, (laughs) but really most importantly relaxing, and diligently learning to cultivate a clear and mindful focus of attention. So compared to the ways of the world, there really isn't very much to do over these next couple of weeks, which is a really good thing to remember, because I suspect that some of you may have such a strong habit of keeping busy that, in fact, you may go on creating all sorts of things to do just simply out of habit. So you might remind yourself every now and then there's really not much to do over these next two weeks. I also think it's fair to say that sometimes our mind is kind of like a junkyard. Meaning that there's sometimes and maybe often quite a lot of rubbish that we put into our mind. Various and many conversations. All sorts of stuff maybe online and from our cell phones and our computers along with myriad forms of entertainment that we engage in. And we just pour it all in, right? Yeah. Someone once told me that, huh, there's a, she said there was a veritable jam session going on in her mind. Well, the main problem with all of this is, is that it really makes us very, very tired. It's exhausting. And then, of course, there's the worldly work that you do, both to make a living and volunteer work, and maybe, for some of you, um, the work of going to school, taking classes. And, of course, much of this, or maybe most all of it, is compassionate and creative work. But if we don't take time to replenish we can really give out no matter how good and how fulfilling our various kinds of work, worldly work is. The more usual ways of Replenishing and rejuvenating and resting. Such as maybe watching films, videos, going out somewhere. They actually aren't really truly rejuvenating. They don't really give us a true rest. (coughs) Actually, even sleep really doesn't give the mind a really fully true rest. For really genuine and deep relaxation and rejuvenation, we need to give our mind, our heart, some inner space, we could say. We need to clear out the junkyard. We need to quiet the inner noise. And the way to do this is to keep the mind, keep the attention, purely in the moment in a simple way. This is really the best rest for the heart and the mind. The mind and body relaxed and alert and focused. and I'm sure that everyone in this room knows at least to some degree, with even just a few moments of this, we feel refreshed. We feel more clear-minded. We feel more wakeful. And so we begin our retreat learning and practicing towards keeping the mind focused in the moment with a relaxed and focused attention, very simply beginning with the sensations of the in-breath and the out-breath. A really wonderfully simple, though not always so easy, approach to training the mind, training the heart to be and to stay in the moment. So in light of this, we're letting go of busyness. Letting go of the usual distractions that you engage in to relax out of all the busyness. And really, what a gift to yourself this is. Just simply being not becoming anything or anybody, and not filling up the mind with more stuff, but rather just simply being and connecting with your experience of the simple sensations of the breath, the various changing sensations that occur in the body, the experiences that come in through the other sense doors, which in fact include the various states of mind that come and go. So mindful attention to all of this, just as it occurs in the moment, moment by moment as we practice together over these next two weeks. I think for just about everybody there are various mental and physical states that come up up at the onset of a retreat. So I'll just list a few of them excitement, nervousness, maybe a little worry, expectation, maybe some delight, maybe a sense of relief. Some people feel great relief at the onset of a retreat, along with worry and expectation, etc. There's lots of energy moving through the body, the mind and the heart. Even for people who have sat many, many retreats. Why? Because each retreat is totally unpredictable. It's totally unique in the way that it will unfold. For me in teaching or beginning a time of personal retreat, many of these same flavors of energy move through my heart and my mind and my body. I was feeling them quite intensely, actually, about an hour ago, getting ready to come and give a Dharma talk. It's just how our human nature works as we enter into something new. And how very fortunate, really, we are that we are embodied as we are in this human form. This very precious human existence. Making it possible to practice. Making it possible to be able to look within and to cultivate a mindful, concentrated, and balanced mind and heart that's rooted in kindness and compassion and wisdom. We're actually a minority, a small minority on this earth. In this universe. And of course, who knows beyond? So if you think about it for a moment, there are more than 11 million species living on this planet. That's astounding really. So just consider one small piece of this. Insects. A friend of mine here in Taos um, owns and runs a plant nursery and she told me that there are 200 million bugs, as she put it, per human on the planet. Mm. Wow. We're hardly here. (laughs) So really, how fortunate to be embodied in the way that we are. This human mind and heart and body are really the most conducive towards developing the purity of a concentrated mind rooted in kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity, mindfulness, and the great gift of wisdom because of the particular mixture that each one of us has of both pleasure and pain. Now I'm going to say something that some of you may question, but really there's just enough of each. And as we all very well know, sometimes there's a little more of one, Sometimes a little more of the other and at times some great, big, huge handfuls of one and seemingly not much, if any, of the other. But consider the fact that it changes back and forth, back and forth within a week daily, and even within moments. So really, this human realm that we all very fortunately find ourselves in offers us the best conditions that we could ask for. This is the place, this rare and precious human realm that we very fortunately find ourselves in, as I just said. And so here we are with all of the conditions and all of the blessings in place and a wonderful two weeks of opportunity ahead of us, a time of cultivation and discovery, a time of exploration surprise, understanding, some of which at times may not be very easy. It may even even be quite challenging at times. But all the while, your time here very much includes the real potential of bringing forth experiences of deep relaxation, calm, Tranquility, insight, joy, happiness, and equanimity. As we enter into this period <coughs> of sustained spiritual practice, there are a few very specific supports that are very readily available for us. So now I'd like to take uh, a brief look at the first of these supports with you. The first support is the wonderful gift of silence. This silence that very gently holds us in itself. Silence is really quite amazing in certain ways. It doesn't expect anything. It doesn't judge. Silence is infinitely patient, boundlessly spacious, open, allowing, and accepting. This container, we could say, of silence that has no boundaries and that everything comes out of and everything returns to. And of course, within the silence, there are slots of sounds, all kinds of sounds that arise and pass. At times you'll hear the sound of my voice, as you are this evening. Occasionally other voices as well. You might hear sighs, maybe cries, laughs. Certainly, probably some coughs and sneezes and the sounds of moving bodies. There'll be bell and bird sounds. Probably occasional truck and car sounds. And very certainly the sounds of wind and weather, all kinds of weather sounds. So all kinds of sounds arising and passing in the midst of silence. And sometimes, maybe, maybe more often than we are aware of even, we interpret sound as noise. And it's important, I think, to note that this interpretation is an interpretation <laughs> and to notice it. Is this or that sound noise? What happens if it's noise? Are you relaxed? Is your heart open to simply hearing, simply receiving the sound? Or is there a contraction, some form of aversion, some resistance, the irritation of being disturbed. If it's just a sound, just simply a sound, our relationship to it is basically one of relaxed acceptance. Just simply and directly hearing, which certainly may be accompanied by a simple pleasant or maybe unpleasant or maybe neutral feeling tone. And of course, we're not always in that relationship to sound. So with an open heart, just really mindfully notice your response or your reaction to sound and noticing it without judgment without commentary, being mindful in the midst of the silence. And just uh, an important note here to ask you to please, and maybe this was said in the uh, manager's talk, to please not write notes to each other. It really is a great gift of respect for others, and for your own practice to not create the inner noise that writing notes back and forth stimulates. Silence is where we learn to sense, see, and truly know our experience. In this respectful, supportive, and really beautiful container of silence lies the possibility for the boundless blossoming of our practice. So it's important to consider that in terms of maybe your temptation to use your cell phone or your computer unless it's really necessary. Don't do that to yourself. It's harmful, actually, in this context. Sometimes within the silence of a retreat, it feels as though all of the windows of the world Maybe all of the windows of the universe, maybe all of the windows of life itself, we could say, have been thrown wide open within us. And when this is our experience, there can be a sense of freshness and beauty, an inner sense of open-hearted receptivity, stillness, and as though a fresh clarity has been let in. So this is our first support, silence. And I always like to take some time to uh, talk about it at the onset of a retreat because it really is so much more than just not talking. And so now I'd like to spend a little bit of time uh, exploring the other two supports that are here for us uh, during our retreat. The first being what is called taking refuge. The Buddha's teachings can be thought of as a kind of building with its own distinct foundation and levels and stairs and roof. And just like any other building, the teaching also has a door. And in order to enter it, we have to enter enter the building, we have to enter through the door. The door of the entrance to the teachings of the Buddha are going for refuge to the Three Jewels. Really from ancient times, until the present. Going for refuge has functioned as the entryway to the teachings of the Buddha, giving us admission, we could say, to the rest of the teachings, from the lowermost story all the way up to the top. And all of those who embrace the teachings of the Buddha do so by passing through this door of taking refuge. And those who are already committed regularly reaffirm their conviction by continuing to make this threefold commitment. I go for refuge to the Buddha, I go for refuge to the Dhamma or the Dharma, and I go for refuge to the Sangha. And I know that some people feel that this step might be somewhat commonplace or kind of slight, not very important. Maybe especially if they compare it to the lofty teachings and practices and achievements that are beyond the first step of taking refuge. I think that the importance for all of us on this path, is that it's an act of taking refuge that really imparts the direction and the forward momentum, we could say, to the entire practice of the Buddhist path. Bhikkhu Bodhi said that, from a Buddhist perspective, our human situation is similar to an iceberg. He said, a small fraction of its mass appears above the surface. The vast substratum remains below, hidden out of view, he said. Concealed from ourselves, and often in subtle ways, our desires condition our perceptions. Our desires condition our perceptions. They often twist them, twist themselves to fit into the molds that they want, that they're habituated and that they're very habituated to. Consequently our mind works by way of selection and exclusion. we often, maybe not all the time, but often mostly take note of the things that are agreeable to us, agreeable to our habits, actually, our particular habits. And we might either block out or maybe distort those that seem to threaten our habitual preconceptions. From this standpoint, we begin to understand more and more comprehensively and more clearly that our ordinary sense of security is actually a false security. And it's sustained by a lack of awareness of the mind's capacity for subterfuge. We have very tricky minds. And we also begin to understand that the real way to safety and security lies through clear mindful insight not through wishful thinking. We can wish ourselves to death, so to say. And so we begin to practice sharpening and widening our inner vision, reaching beyond fear and reaching beyond our habituated preconceptions, perceptions, and imaginations that in fact for many years have lulled us, lulled us into a kind of comfortable complacency by uh, turning away and very often running after various distractions. And I think that this calls for quite a bit of courage and determination. And so we take refuge in the Three Jewels, the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And we take it again and again all along the way of our practice. It's really a great support. One of my favorite ways to uh, bring light to taking refuge is to take a look at some of the wonderful classical similes or metaphors that are given in the texts for each of the three jewels. So I'd like to share just four of my favorite similes with you this evening. The first compares the Buddha to the sun. I have to put my glasses on because I have to read these. (laughs) The first compares the Buddha to the sun, for his appearance in the world is like the sun rising over the horizon. His teaching of the true Dhamma is like the net of the sun's rays spreading out over the earth dispelling the darkness and cold of the night, giving warmth and light to all beings. The Sangha is like the beings for whom the darkness of night has been dispelled, who go about their affairs, enjoying the warmth and the radiance of the sun. The second simile compares the Buddha to the full moon, the jewel of the nighttime sky. His teaching of the Dhamma is like the moon shedding its beams of light over the world, cooling off the heat of the day. The Sangha is like the persons who go out in the night to see and enjoy the refreshing, refreshing splendor of the moonlight. The third simile, the Buddha is likened to a great rain cloud spreading out across the countryside at a time when the land has been parched with a long summer's heat. The teaching of the true Dhamma is like the downpour of the rain, which in, in, inundates the land, giving water to the plants and the vegetation. The Sangha is like the plants, the trees, the shrubs, the bushes and the grass, which thrive and flourish when nourished by the rain pouring down from the cloud. And the last simile compares the Buddha to a lotus flower, the paragon of beauty and purity. Just as a lotus grows in a muddy lake, but rises above the water and stands in full splendor, unsoiled by the mud, so the Buddha, having grown up in the world, overcomes the world and abides in its midst, untainted by its impurities. The Buddha's teaching of the true Dhamma is like the sweet, perfumed fragrance emitted by the lotus flower, giving delight to all. And the Sangha is like the host of bees who collect around the lotus, gathering up the pollen and fly off to their hives to transform it into honey. I particularly like these four because they're all we could say ordinary images of nature every day, every day. What we live with. Another beautiful aspect of taking refuge in the Sangha, particularly in the Sangha, is that we're taking refuge in each other. Taking refuge in each other right here, right now. The support, the encouragement, the inspiration that we receive from and that we give to each other. It's so necessary. So very necessary on this amazing, powerful and sometimes quite difficult journey. We need Sangha. We need the support and the inspiration and the strength of community in order to be able to engage in and to continue along this journey. So, taking refuge, the great support as we practice together through this retreat, the really beautiful gift of the Three Jewels, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. The next support that I'll briefly speak about uh, as we move... uh, next support for us as we move into retreat that I'll briefly speak about is the practice of sila. And sila, as probably most of you know, is a Pali word that translates into virtue, meaning living ethically, living ethically in relationship to all forms of life, living with a very deep moral sensitivity and respect towards and with all forms of life, including with ourselves. And the Buddha offered these particular teachings and practices as precepts or guidelines. And I think the word guidelines is quite important. It means that they're not rigid rules that are laid upon us, so to say, from the outside. But rather, they're really the ground of our life as practice. Here in retreat and in our life outside of a retreat setting. The overall and underlying principle of each and all of these guidelines, each and all of these precepts, is non-harming. With the intention and the practice being to connect with all forms of life, with deep respect and with a caring heart honoring life in all of its forms, and then to act from this place. Any one of these guidelines might light up as a point of practice for us at any moment during this retreat. And when this shows up for us in relationship maybe to something we've done, or something we've said, or something we've thought, it really offers us an opportunity to extend our practice of focused attention and mindfulness into this very particular moment of our experience. And in relationship to this, I'd like to read uh, a short piece called Harmlessness from the Dhammapada words of the Buddha. All beings tremble before violence. All fear death. All love life. See yourself in others. Then whom can you harm? Whom can you hurt? What harm can you do? One who seeks happiness, by hurting others who seek happiness, will never find happiness. For your sister, your brother, is like you and wants to be at ease. Never harm her, never harm him. And in this life and when you leave this life, you too, will find happiness. There's really a great beauty and ease that resides in the heart and the mind and the body with living ethically. During the years that I was practicing with the Venerable Saida Upandita, one of my Burmese teachers, every time I went into the house where he was staying, uh, I went in for my practice meetings with him. I was gently but really quite profoundly struck by the energy of freshness and lightness and beauty and ease that pervaded that space, and his persona, the fruits of a long life deeply imbued with sila. As our practice deepens and matures, we come to understand what brings happiness, contentment, and ease on deepening levels and what brings suffering and confusion, what brings dis-ease. This is the ground of what allows our practice of mindfulness and concentration and metta and compassion and joy and equanimity to take hold, to evolve, and to blossom. So I'd like to read a a particular rendition, as I call it, of the um, guidelines or precepts and refuges. And this was written by a woman named Stephanie Caza from the Green Gulch Farm. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow not to kill. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not take what is not given. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not engage in abusive relationships. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not speak falsely or deceptively. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not harm self or others through poisonous thought or substance. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not dwell on past errors. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not speak of self separate from others. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not possess any thing or form of life selfishly. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not harbor ill will toward any plant, animal, or human being. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not abuse the great truth of the three treasures. The three treasures, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. So in this retreat, we'll chant the refuges and precepts together on Dhamma Talk evenings, just prior to the Dhamma Talk. And we'll all take five precepts. And I will also go on to offer uh, eight precepts if there is anyone who uh, might be interested in taking the eight precepts for their practice. And any one of you, of course, are very welcome to try practicing with eight precepts for any amount of time uh, during this retreat. So if you might want to consider it, give it a little bit of thought and see. So this evening, um, at the end of the Dhamma Talk, which will be in just a couple of moments, we'll chant the five precepts, and maybe for some of you, Eight precepts. So all of these wonderful supports that are here for us during this two weeks of practice, the simplicity of life here in retreat, the ambiance and the availability easily available natural world surrounding us here. The silence. Refuge in the three jewels. And the five or the eight precepts or guidelines for living here in retreat. So closing the Dhamma talk before we Take the Precepts and Refuges, with a short poem by the author Anais Nin. And then came the day, excuse me, and then the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. So, if you have a copy of the Refuges and Precepts, or if you don't, there's some up front here. <coughs> and we'll uh, chant them together. Is there anybody that needs a copy? Doesn't have one? Okay. We'll chant them in Pali. So if you look at your, there's the Pali on the left and the English on the right. And um, I'm not a a teacher that does call and response, so (laughs) we'll chant them all together slowly. And um, yeah. And, oh, by the way, I tend to use the uh, Pali rather than the Sanskrit. They're very similar in a lot of ways, but um, these refuges and precepts are in Pali. And actually, most traditions, most Buddhist traditions do chant the refuges and precepts in Pali. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Namo Tassa Bhagavato. Arahato sama samputasa. Buddham Sarnam Gacchami Dhammam saranam Gacchami Sankam saranam gachami. Dutiampi budham saranam gachami. Dutiyampi dhammam sarnan gacchami Dutiyampi sagam sarnan gacchami Thatiampi buddham sarnan gacchami Thatiampi dhammam sarnan gacchami Tatiampi saṅgam sāraṇaṁ gaćāmi paṇāti paṭhā vēraṁ nī sīka padaṁ adīna dana Abrahma-chariya sikapadam samadhyami Musawada veramni-sikapadam samadiyami Sura-mereya-maja-pamadatana veramni-sikapadam samadiyami is there anybody that wants to do eight precepts? Okay. Wekala, bhojana Veramani, Sikapadam, Samadhiyami, natcha Gita, vadita We Sukadasana, Malaganda, We Lepana, Dharana, Mandana, We Veeramni Sikapadam Samadi ami, Mahasayana. Veeramni Sikapadam samadhi Everyone, idam me silam maga palanjanasa o And let's sit silently for just a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.